Okay, so let's talk about that brief meditation experience before we had our little break. What what can you tell me about what you experienced then? Did anyone have any physical discomfort? Yeah, yeah. And uh, did it bring you to the point of having to move? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, that and that was just sitting for 15 minutes. And of course, 15 minutes is, uh, is, is fine for when you're just starting. But, you, you know, to really, to really uh, have an effective meditation, you're going to need to sit uh, at least 45 minutes or preferably an hour at a time. And so this just makes you aware how important that uh, it is to, to get a comfortable position. So, you know, keep, keep working on it. See, see what you can do. And, and do it right away because uh, it would be nice not to have those kinds of physical distractions uh, so, uh, taking away from what you can accomplish this weekend. Anyone else have a problem with physical discomfort? Yes, you did? Your back is really, is this, a, is this an ongoing problem or is this something you're just experiencing today? Uh, just today. Just today. Uh, it could be that you're sitting differently so that your, your, your weight is a little bit different and your back muscles are having to support you. But you might also try, you know, sit in a chair too and see how, see how it goes meditating sitting in a chair. Sitting in a chair is absolutely, completely legitimate way to to practice, so, and there are several chairs in here. If anybody would like these? Yes. Yeah, I have a funny situation. I used to be able to sit still, you know, pretty comfortable for a while. But the more you mention, you know, I need to be comfortable, the, the more I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so, you, know, you know, for today, you know, 15 minutes is it's like an hour for me. So. Mm-hmm. So I just want is that my uh, you know, special feeling or something. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not sure. Were, were you saying that you, you feel like you're having more trouble being comfortable because I said you should be comfortable? Yeah. Uh-huh, okay. Well, then you just, uh, that, that's really good. So look at look at your mind and see where that's coming from. See, that's, see, you know, and, and let, let go of that. The idea is, uh, the idea is, not to be unnecessarily distracted by physical discomfort. And if we, if we somehow shift that into, oh, I've got to be perfectly comfortable, well, that's impossible. That's just, you know, that's never going to happen. So that will just, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but it has the potential to make you just become too preoccupied with how, how you come to be comfortable. But if you, if you are experiencing some particular discomfort, she had a pain in her back, and uh, I didn't ask this gentleman what it was, but it was some. If there's some particular discomfort, then you try to remedy that particular discomfort, and then otherwise, you know, there's there's a certain degree of minor discomfort that you just disregard and accept. I'm talking about what is, uh, what is definitely intrusive and going to become more intrusive and take away from your ability to get the experience. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that you find that. Because it has become a part of the instruction, it's made you more aware of it and made it more difficult to be comfortable. Yeah. So. 
to me, the, 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 the more I focus on the breathing, yeah. uh, the less the pain. I have a, a little pain too. I never yeah. have back pain, so as you said, just a little bit on the one side. Yeah. So I kept trying to find more comfortable position. The more I, I focus on the breathing, the less pain I felt. It. Yes. You know, like uh, my body just felt more lighter. And, and this is that that that's that's good that you noticed that. Uh, uh, the more you focus on one thing, the less you're going to be aware of other things in general. You know, the, so if you have uh, a certain quantity of pain somewhere, and you focus, the more you focus on something else, the less you're aware of that. If it becomes a huge amount of pain, then it's going to intrude no matter what. But in general, yeah. Uh, so, how about uh, how about mind wandering? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about uh, when that happened? Were you able to clearly experience the sense of uh, of becoming more fully conscious and aware at that moment when you realized your mind wandering? And that's the key there. That's that's the key. Anybody didn't have mind wandering? You didn't? Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Anybody didn't? So, then, uh, that's what I mean. It's, it's completely normal. But, it's, it's normal, but it's not something that has to happen. You can train your mind uh, in such a way that mind-wandering just, after a while, is not a problem at all. Forgetting ceases to be a problem at all, and you have continuity of attention. It's just simply a matter of training your mind to do something a little bit different than what it ordinarily does in, in your daily life. And... Uh, it's not going to interfere with your mind's ability to uh, to check in and discover what uh, what other things might be important and worth attending to. You'll just train your mind so that when you sit down to meditate, your mind complies. It's, it uh, stays with the object. Uh, did you find counting helped as a way to start? You did. All right. Now, just to make it clear. This really is, it, it's a crude thing to do, this counting of the breaths, you know. Because you're really, you're right away dividing your attention between the process of counting and the observation of the breath. And the mentally saying to yourself, the number one, two, three. This is, this is a relatively crude thing. But, you know, when you're making a transition from ordinary, everyday state of consciousness to meditation, if you always do that, it becomes a conditioning of the mind. So that, in, in that way, it becomes a, a useful tool. You sit down and you count the first ten breaths, and by the time you're finished, your mind is is settled. And it's a conditioning. You, 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 you become used to that. To, to, uh, when you do that counting, it's a signal to shift from the ordinary mode of, of attention scanning to different things to the mode of the attention staying settled and still. But it has a limited utility. If you keep on doing it, it's just too crude. And uh, the counting can take over and you find yourself uh, 37, 38. Whoops, I was supposed to stop at 10. What happened? Well, you really weren't aware. <laughs> but your mind keeps on counting just as if you were. So, yeah. so uh, that's why we say just count to 10 breaths. And usually just right at the beginning. The only time you would want to use it again, if you find your mind, you know, if you, 
if, if you had a really long period of mind wandering, so it's almost like starting all over again, and it feels like it would be useful to do the counting of breaths, that's the point to do it. But otherwise, it's just something to, to begin with. But you did find it useful. And you, uh, it, it, does, it does have that effect of, especially if, if you're sitting there and you're having the experience that, that uh, after every you know, few breaths, three or four or five breaths, you find that your mind's already off onto something else. Counting can help extend that to where it's a whole 10 breaths. And then, and then you can carry on from that point. Yes. Does it have to be this cold? Um, yes. I was uh, responding to someone else's request to get a yeah. cool. But <laughs> we'll so. find a middle way. <laughs> what, what are we set at now? Uh, now it's uh, 69. Before it was 74. And so we'll find, I guess, <laughs> somewhere between. <laughs> 71. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think a little a little warmer than sixty nine might might be good. But the problem, of course, is that you know when these units come on, the air that is blowing into the room is actually colder than the temperature that you want it to be, so it has to get mixed. So, so. how about your meditation? Do you have anything to? So the most important thing in this, you know, I mean, we're taking this as, 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 as assuming that you're all beginning meditators <coughs> and this is your first time. The most important thing is in this is clearly recognizing the difference in the state of your consciousness when you're, uh, when you're lost by some thought that has captured you and that when you come into the present moment awareness. And so that's what's most important. That's what I want to hear that you were able to experience clearly and you understand the significance of. Is there any questions or comments about that? This is really important. Just, yes. So um, there were a couple times when there were some times when I have Mm-hmm. And then I realized that. Then I kind of felt confusion a little bit about it wasn't so distinct. Yeah. I felt a little. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to pat myself on the back. It was a little confusing because it was in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you don't need to always pat yourself on the back, but it never hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least in terms of this, and at least in terms of the the positive reinforcement of this heightened state of awareness. And you see, this is what I really hope that you're able to recognize: is this is the way you'd like your mind to be more uh, more like all of the time. And this is. This is 
the way an awakened mind is, is fully aware of the present moment, of what's happening, why it's happening, you know, and uh, the mind aware of itself. Yeah. I think another thought that happens is, you know, <clears throat> I understand what you said about <clears throat> congratulating yourself that you realized it versus beating yourself up that it wandered, right? right. The problem is that you learn that both of those things happened, you learn that in the same moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I wander. Oh, it's good that I noticed. You know, they yeah. both happen at the same moment. Yes, they it's do. It's hard right. to not be disappointed, you know. Uh, yes, and it's not that. Uh, you, you've, you've probably already <coughs> uh, got some conditioning to be disappointed. And so that's not going to disappear, you know, instantaneously. But it, it will go away. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, over time, the, uh, the, the kind of conscious awareness you'll have, will, you, you know, you'll become so fully conditioned to the appreciation of that that you don't really need to uh, actually uh, hold a thought about it. You know, it's just the awareness is, oh, good. You know, I, I mean, that, that's all there is. It's just, oh, good, we're, we're back. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, uh, initially both through there. And one of the things that's taking place in your mind, you set an intention, okay, I want to, I, I want to meditate on the sensations of my breath. And when that, there's all these different processes, as I say, making up your mind. Uh, that uh, constituting your mind. So, <clears throat> always what happens, you set an intention, and if things don't turn out the way that you uh, intended, then this constitutes a problem. And your mind is a problem-solving machine. And so, uh, your mind also, the way that some parts of your mind alert other parts of your mind that there's a problem is by this generation of negative feelings like disappointment and dissatisfaction and so forth. So that's what's taking place. And so normal mode of operation, here's the intention, hey, things aren't happening the way they intend. So that produces the sensation of disappointment. And then other parts of the mind say, ah, we've got a problem. What can we do about this? You know, and different solutions get floated. Well, one of the solutions that you're going to find that gets floated after a while is, well, let's go find something better to do. Let's give up on that. <laughs> <laughs> but all that is is your mind, you know, it, it's, it's sorting through all the different possible solutions, and that's one. So that'll come up too, you know, and, uh, and, and it's just one of, of many. All the different emotions that might come up as a process of meditation and including how proud you are of how well you're doing uh, and how disappointed you are with how distracted you are today and I was doing so well yesterday and now, you know, all of these things, all of these mental states, all of these emotions, they're just uh, products of the functioning of the mind. It takes, it takes the information and the intentions and stuff like that and it says, oh, well, this is an appropriate mental state to generate in response to that. If you can recognize that, it helps to let go of it. So, oh yeah, there's disappointment, of course. Well, that's what my mind does. It gets disappointed when I 
So uh, that would that just remembering that will take you a long way towards the point where there isn't any disappointment anymore. There's just that calm, relaxed, smooth, just uh, oh good, I'm back, and then going back to observing the breath. Anything else that, uh, please, something else. I, I want to tell you what I experienced. Uh, yes, things that, that at this point they're very, they seem important to me and they had some conflict with me. Mm -hmm. The thoughts came out as I was counting and mm -hmm. I was able to blow it off and it was, it seemed silly. The, you know, the same conflict seemed silly when I was meditating. I was yeah. able to just go, That's, you know, yeah. I blow it off yeah. and went back into focusing on my counting. Mm -hmm. And it, it just shows how powerful you can become when you f can focus on, you know, like you said, uh, just seeing everything else being so powerless, like, you know, yeah. the everyday life, you know, the conflicts that people have every day. It's mm -hmm. like, they're, sometimes they're just silly, you know, and ridiculous. And it's, it's, it's interesting how they control so much of our lives when we, yes. we don't know how to deal with them because we don't know how to relax and meditate mm -hmm. and focus. and. And uh, right now they seem silly. The three thoughts came out, and, and they were just—I I can tell right now they're very. Mm -hmm. They should be blown up, you know. They're, they mean nothing really, yeah. you know. And when and and when you can, when you can see them that way, then letting them go—I use the word "blow them off"—but it's just you just let them go. They, you yeah. know, they—they're they're not really. They're nothing to be struggled against, or nothing to be attached to. So they—they they have, you know. They're just there, and you let them go. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you and you're right. That's so much of what our life is. Uh, and so you you know you were counting the breaths, and maybe when you're not counting the breaths, you were obviously having some periods of uh, longer periods where your attention to the breath was not interrupted. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hopefully most of you had some of those longer periods, maybe lasted several minutes or or, or more. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit, because this is about, well, why are we doing this? What's the, what's the big deal? Why should I be able to keep my attention on the breath, or anything for that matter, for a period of time? What's the advantage? And really, <coughs> it may be a bit early for some of you to really have a taste of this or experience, but hopefully it will come soon. But you see, when you can use continuous attention on one thing as a way to kind of anchor the mind so that it's not all over the way, all, all over the place that usually it is. Anchors the mind. It allows you to become very aware of actually what's going on in the mind. If you can sit even for five minutes without completely losing attention uh, to the breath, you'll begin to discover sort of an inner landscape of the mind. You know, what are the furnishings of the mind? What's, what are the processes here? What's going on? And this is something that when the mind doesn't have that anchor, it's just not, it's not available to you. You really, can't, you really can't get that grasp on it. But, and the longer the period of your mind that it has this anchor, the more clearly you can see the kinds of thoughts and the kinds of emotions and mental states that are arising. And you begin to see the relationships between them. It starts to, it starts to become very clear that, oh, that sound 
was recognized by this concept, which leads to this thought, which leads to this feeling, and you can just see how it happens. And you can see that there are many different processes like that going on in, in your mind at, at one time, and sort of competing with each other. And also, when you haven't lost the awareness of the meditation object, you start to notice that, well, sometimes I haven't lost it, but it's kind of slipped into the, uh, into the periphery of my awareness. It's kind of off on the edge. You know, sometimes I bang on with it, and all these other thoughts and things like that are somewhere out on the edge. But then other times some thought comes in, and it's really in the center, and I, didn't, I haven't lost awareness of the breath, but it's kind of slipped. And this makes you really aware that out of all these things that are going on, that there's different degrees of uh, conscious awareness that you can have of any one of them. And that attention is mobile. And that it is a limited resource. The more you pay attention to one thing, the less you're aware of another. The more you can focus on the breath, the less you're aware of a pain. Assuming that it's a mild enough pain that it doesn't overwhelm. But on the other hand, a stronger pain comes along and there's no way that you can stay with the breath because that pain, is, it just keeps pulling the attention away and you can't be focused on the pain and really be focused on the breath at the same time. And so this is why we're, we're doing it right from the very beginning. As soon as you're able to have uh, some reasonably length periods where the mind stays anchored uh, by virtue of the meditation object, you can start to have a clearer understanding of what's actually going on in, in your mind, which of course is what's actually going on in your life, because your life is just a series of these mental experiences, right? No matter what you're doing, <laughs> that's so this is your life. So it creates a window into, well, oh yes, what am I really all about? What is this all really all about? And that's what leads to insight. That's what leads to the the uh, kind of understanding and knowledge that brings awakening. So talk to me some more about your meditation experience. Yes. Um, I used to use a different way to practice uh, meditate, but today I just uh, intentionally follow the focus on breathing that I'm seldom used in the past. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's the topic, and, and I also using the counting, and then I I feel like a, a lot of dullness <laughs> why, you know, and uh, uh, I think I I lost the counting because uh, so dullness and 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 and, and uh, not too much. Not too much the thoughts are wrong, but just feel like a, because maybe it's because you know energy or something that just just feel like a like a very pain and, and dull mm -hmm. is that. So that's today's my experience for, for trying to mm -hmm. follow the sensation. So we haven't really talked about dullness yet, and uh, this is something that uh, you will experience. And strong dullness becomes sleepiness and drowsiness. Uh, you can have 
all degrees of dullness, uh, very mild, subtle degrees of dullness, very strong degrees. Uh, and uh, we will uh, we will talk about that, and we'll talk about ways of, of dealing with that. Generally, dullness is something that uh, becomes a problem after you've achieved a certain degree of stability of the mind. When the mind starts to become settled and calm, it starts to go the other way. Instead of agitation, instead of many different thoughts and monkey mind and mind wandering, uh, it starts to slip into this dullness, which then becomes drowsiness and then becomes sleepiness. And of course, that's completely normal and natural too. Uh, after all, uh, approximately once a day, at least for your whole life, you settle down, stop paying attention to outside stimuli, let your mind become calm, and you've gone to sleep. So you're highly conditioned to respond in that way. And so when your mind begins to calm down, it's going to tend to happen. But that's something that can be overcome as, as well. And we, we sort of deal with that separately. I think we, we're going on the assumption that most of you are beginning meditators, so the first problem that you're dealing with is uh, agitation. Agitation, a lot of different mental activity, kinds of mental activity taking place. And monkey mind, that's another thing I didn't talk to you about. There's something called, you know, I talked to you about forgetting and mind wandering, and I think you understand and experience some of that. Some of you might have experienced something too that we call monkey mind. You know the way uh, a monkey uh, uh, is constantly jumping from one thing to another, you know, to this branch to that and something else. Right? And uh, when your mind is, uh, and, and this is this is very much the opposite of dullness here, but the monkey mind, that's where your mind just keeps gets going from one thing to another thing to another thing, and almost nonstop. And it'll keep coming back to the breath, but it just won't stay still. It just won't stay on one thing. You know, it, it's this pain on my knee, and then the hum of whatever that machine is, and then you know, back to my breath, and then this little thought, and then back to my breath, and wonder when we were going to have for lunch, and then back to the <laughs> breath. And, you know, it just, did any of you have that kind of experience when you were sitting, or have you had that before? Uh, that you have? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a little bit different in that often, you know, you can experience this monkey mind for, you know, a long period of time. You can sit there for half an hour with your mind just going all over everywhere. And it's not that it's re you're not really forgetting the meditation object, except for very briefly. I mean, to the extent that your mind, uh, that your monkey mind, really latches onto some thought for a second or two. During that second or two, you're really not aware of the breath. But then it goes right back to the breath. So it's not quite like the forgetting and mind wandering. It's just this highly agitated state. And it often, when you have that monkey mind, you start feeling very restless. And it has its own kind of disappointment with it. You know, you find this frustration, why can't I, why can't I calm my mind down? You know, that's that illusion that you're in control, uh, it's your mind and you're in control of it. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's the same thing. You just, keep, you just keep coming back to the breath. And by keep coming back to the breath, uh, you will, that agitation will pass away. On the other hand, if the agitation of the mind leads to a restless, agitated mental state, then that will only make it worse. 
I don't, you said that you had that experience. I don't know if, if you noticed that, if you had that as well. You see, your mind is in, you know, we call it a state of agitation. It's highly active. It's very energetic and it's highly active and it's going here and there. Okay. If you persist in just bringing it back, it will calm down. On the other hand, if you start feeling restless and annoyed and dissatisfied, that just makes it worse. That's that's how you deal with uh, the, uh, the monkey mind when it comes up. Yes. I have a question on pain. Um, I heard that that's being mindfulness is being used to decrease pain now yeah. as therapy. And so, I, for example, if you're sitting, you could easily move and decrease the pain. But is there a way to use attention to make the pain go away? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, And the, the, when you have a pain that is strong enough that you can't disregard it, then uh, the appropriate thing to do is to take the pain as your meditation object. Let go of the sensation of the breath. Shift the attention fully onto the pain. And then investigate the pain with mindfulness. And when I say investigate it with mindfulness, I mean rather than immerse yourself in the identification with the pain, which is completely the wrong thing to do. Instead, you examine the pain with a kind of objectivity that you examine the sensations of breath. Where does the, where does the in-breath begin? Where does the in-breath end? How long is the pause before the out-breath? And so forth. You look at the pain and say, where exactly is it? How big is it? Is it moving? What kind of pain? Is it sharp? Is it dull? Is it aching? Is it throbbing? Is it becoming stronger? Is it becoming weaker? Is it becoming alternately stronger and weaker? You examine it objectively so that you're looking at it. And as you go more and more objectively into it, you, you start to say, okay, what exactly is it about this sensation that makes it pain? You know, what's the pain? What's the part that's pain? Uh, what will happen there, this kind of objective examination of the pain, um, will lessen its uh, unpleasantness. Sometimes it will just simply become a sensation and it will, lose, it will lose all sense of being pain. It just becomes another sensation. Sometimes it will disappear. Um, sometimes it will just diminish in intensity to a sufficient degree that it's no longer uh, a great distraction. In meditation, when you, what you're, what you're really doing when you take pain as a meditation object is you're finessing a situation. You want always what your mind is attending to, to, to be that which you consciously intend to be paying attention to. So if the mind it keeps being overtaken by the pain, then you deliberately take the pain as object and you examine it in the same objectively mindful way. So, uh, and then at some point, and, and this, this happens very commonly, if the pain disappears or it becomes uh, less disturbing or less intense, you go back to your primary meditation object. And then if the pain reemerges in intensity, you go back to it once again. Yeah. Now, they have found that the fact that pain responds to mindful awareness in this way 
could be very useful in helping people deal with chronic pain. And uh, uh, there's a, a person uh, that uh, I'm acquainted with who has severe rheumatoid arthritis, uh, chronic pain that is very debilitating. But she's been meditating for many years, and through meditation, she uh, she's able to live with that pain with a minimum of uh, using any kind of drugs or anything. Uh, it does have it does have that kind of power, uh, and ultimately, you know, as a person's meditation practice develops, as their concentration and mindful awareness develops, there is uh, an equanimity that develops as well. Concentration is, brings one form of equanimity. Insight brings another form of equanimity. And then the most powerful equanimity of all is the one that arises with awakening. But uh, any of these, when we say that they're equanimity, what they are is a non-reactivity of the mind to pleasant and unpleasant. And of course, this allows you to deal with pain very effectively. So. In your meditation practice, as equanimity develops, pain of all kinds becomes much easier to deal with because your mind is not reacting so strongly to it. A uh, friend of mine, another meditation teacher by the name of Shinzen Young, uh, likes to put this in mathematical terms. And it says that pain times resistance equals suffering. You know, simple mathematical equation. And the reality corresponds to this mathematics quite well. You know, if you've got 10 units of pain and 10 units of resistance, you've got 100 units of suffering. And if you've got uh, uh, 10 units of pain and two units of resistance, you've got 20 units of suffering. But if you've got 10 units of pain and zero units of resistance, 10 times zero is zero, you've got no suffering. And that, that's the part that's really quite amazing. But that's where the equanimity aspect of it comes in. As the mind becomes less reactive to pain, that aspect of it that we call suffering tends to disappear. And you'll experience some of that just in your meditation in dealing with pain until you reach the stage where sitting becomes uh, painless, you're going to experience pain. And the longer you sit, if you go on a, a retreat for uh, two weeks, by the third or fourth day, of sitting, you experience a lot of pain, right, Dan? <laughs> so, but the thing is that you get beyond that. You, you, you do get beyond that. In the meantime, when the pain does arise, it's a wonderful opportunity to learn the truth about pain and the truth about the mind. I mean, this is insight. Insight, when, when you realize that Pain may be an inevitable part of life, but the suffering that comes from resisting it is completely optional. It doesn't have to be there. When you realize that, that's a profound insight. You know, so. Anything else that from that very brief meditation session that we did together? Anything else that uh, we can discuss together here? We're going to have lunch in about 20 minutes.
that right? Uh, yes. And uh, you have an hour and a half. <coughs> so, uh, of course, a lot of sitting, and there will be more sitting this afternoon. So take the opportunity to get some exercise. Have something to eat. I would like it uh, to request that you restrict your conversation between each other to matters of meditation and the Dharma, the things that we're talking about here this weekend, rather than allowing your mind to start getting into all of the other kinds of things that we normally get into. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to ask that you keep uh, silence over the lunch break, but that you restrict your conversation to, to meditation and dharma. And we have an hour and a half, so uh, please take advantage either coming back and sitting in here, or there is uh, the room in the next floor down, there is a room that where if you want a little more privacy that you can go and sit as well. Um, So we have we have a uh, little over a quarter of an hour here before lunch. Should I take people to the different facilities and show them <coughs> the locations, or the verbal uh, the verbal description is good enough? Um, you've you've all heard. Do you think you can find the room for walking and sitting and and so forth from the you description? Said downstairs, right? Right. The biggest room downstairs. That's the that's the one used for indoor walking. And there are also uh, a small meditation room downstairs, which is uh, almost adjacent to the big room. <coughs> that one you could use for for uh, meditation and solitude purpose, if you like to sit by yourself during the free time. Also, there's an outdoor walking area, which is uh, right next to the rear entrance to the university, all the way to that end of the campus, which you could use for outdoor walking. It's tree lines that provide some kind of shade. So, once again, in any any other questions or any, anything else that we can talk about related to I the city? I have a question, but yeah. not related to the... Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I, the, like you said before, the, the 10th stage we mm -hmm. archived is... Yeah kind of that tour yeah. to to archive the acknowledge acknowledge it's a tool to achieve knowledge yeah, yeah. Knowledge, knowledge but, but how, how how do we use the tour to achieve the acknowledge how do you use the tool to achieve the insight <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. well Insight arises from a careful examination of reality as it's experienced. To be able to carry out that examination, we need this tool. You know, uh, to use an analogy, you know, insight is like searching for some precious object, and. Uh, if you were in a dark place searching for a precious object and uh, you know you had a, a uh, dim light and it was sort of you know going all over the place, it'd be very hard to find. First, you have to take control over the light. 
you have to be able to focus on one thing at a time. Maybe focus it narrowly sometimes or more broadly. And if the light's dim, it is of limited utility. You want to make this light strong and bright so you can really see what you're looking for. Now, in a practical sense of, of translating this metaphor into practice, both when you're sitting and as your skills develop in the rest of your life as well, what you want to be doing is you want to have this introspective awareness of what is actually happening right now. You know, th this is reality. What you are in any, any moment, this is reality. So examining what's happening in the moment is investigating reality. What is arising in my mind? Why is it arising? How is my mind reacting to it? And what are the results of this reaction? Uh, and it's not an analytical process. It's an observation process. By focusing mindful awareness on what's actually taking place, understanding emerges. Now, when you're sitting, when you're sitting in meditation, <coughs> it will become clear to you that moment by moment, you know, you are consciously aware of this, and you're consciously aware then in the next moment of something else, and then you're consciously aware of something else. And your whole life, <coughs> the totality of your conscious experience, is this series of experiences where you're conscious of one thing or another. That is an important insight. That when you truly start to recognize and, and it comes from sitting here with your eyes closed, that reality is a series of experiences. Reality isn't a world out there of concrete objects and a self in here that's interacting with it. Reality is a series of subjective experiences arising and passing away one after another. That is, that is the formulation of right view and the passing away of the wrong view of there's a world of things out there, and here I am, separate from this world of things interacting with it. And then begins to come clear the nature of the objects of those experiences, moment by moment. They fall into two very clear-cut categories. They are sensations arising from what we would call the outside, external, physical, material world, and then there are all the thoughts uh, emotions and mental states and memories and things like this that are arising within the mind. And so we begin to understand that the mind begins to get a grasp on, okay, there is sensations related to a supposed external material world and then there's the contents of my mind. And I'm aware of one or the other. And then you start noticing, well, I hear a, a sound and then the mental uh, uh, concept of a bird arises, but there's no bird in the sound. Where did that bird come from? Well, it was stored information from past experiences. It's just a concept. And you start to realize, well, yeah, that's what's happening all the time. Sensation and then the conceptualization. And then starts to come the realization that the reality that you live in is what your mind generates as a result of these sensations. And the judgments of whether it's good or bad 
whether you're happy or sad, whether you're, whether you're satisfied or dissatisfied, this is all a product of your mind, and you begin to see that relationship. You begin to understand that. Um, the, if you continue to examine your own experience, and particularly to examine your own mind and your reaction to it, then uh, several things start to become clear. Uh, one of the things that starts to become clear examining sensations is that things only exist in our mind. All there is is a continuous flux of sensation. And the mind generates the idea of thingness and things being causally related in a particular way. It's all a creation of the mind. <clears throat> Which isn't to say that it isn't the way things are. I mean, not just saying that we're having some sort of elaborate dream. But the reality is that there is this permanent and irrevocable separation between the reality your mind creates and whatever it is that is the cause of the sensations that you experience that is the basis of what your mind creates. Uh, and, this is, and this is the emptiness. When you realize that my perception, everything I perceive, my perception of it is only a projection of my mind. You know, it's not what it really is. And who knows what the relation is between my, my, my projections and whatever the source is. But the thing that you know for sure is that there, there's forever this separation. The mind just creates the reality that it is. And then you look at your happiness and your suffering and your desires and your attachments and your fears and your aversions and your hatreds. <clears throat> These are all being generated by your mind. They're all being generated by your mind on the basis of the concept that I am this separate self, this entity that needs to be served, protected, gratified, uh, you know, and, and it's this linchpin. And then you start to see that that self is just as empty as everything else. I, I, I understand all this and yeah. I my my power like um, in the daily life. Yes. When I try to take out my meditation ability and to to examine the the mind that the process with uh, relate to the uh, the the outdoor outside environment, it's already too late. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the way. May, maybe I'm not a, I'm using the tools. Um, I mean the well, no, that, that's the way it starts out, and that's great. If if you can become aware, even if it's too late, that's great progress. You're way ahead of when you didn't become aware. Okay, but if you keep practicing mindful awareness, what happens is, is at first, mindful awareness is largely retrospective, as you say. You become aware after it's already after the fact, after it's already over. With. But through the continued you have to develop the power of mindful awareness. And you have to develop the power of mental focus. When these become developed though, and as you continue to apply mindfulness in your daily life, then you start coming into the present. And this is, this is where everything is really happening, is in the present. You become aware of, uh, you know, somebody says something, and you become aware of the mind's reaction to it. You become aware of the mental state that it produces. and at that point, if you're in the present, uh, then two things happen. One, in the beginning, you'll have more opportunity 
to forestall saying or doing something that would be unwholesome and undesirable. But the most important thing that happens is when you focus that kind of mindful awareness on it in the present moment, the practice that started when you became aware, mindfully aware of things after the fact, and it's continued into the present moment, is saturating the mind with the understanding that certain kinds of uh, behaviors, reactions, and mental states are unwholesome, unproductive, that do not serve you. And the result is that is that they disappear by themselves. It's not a question of stopping yourself from saying or stopping yourself from doing. It's when the mindful awareness is focused on what's arising in the moment, the mindful awareness causes it to disappear itself. The power of the intuitive understanding that you've developed repeatedly, you know, the, the anger that starts to well up and the mindfulness that recognizes the anger arising and then the anger rather than overwhelming you and being something you have to struggle to keep from saying something or struggle to keep from doing something. Instead, the mindful awareness focuses on the anger as it arises, recognizes it for what it is, and the mind's attachment to it evaporates and the anger evaporates with it. So that, that's, the way, that's the way the mindful awareness brings about uh, a transformation in our daily behaviors and also in uh, the kinds of uh, karmic imprints on our mind that determine our behaviors. You know, every time you become angry and you allow yourself to identify with that anger and attach to it and become immersed in it, it reinforces it. It's going to, it increases the likelihood of you becoming angry in some other circumstance in the future. But the more that mindful awareness recognizes it for what it is, dispassionately, an emotion that's arising due to past causes and conditions, the less attachment there is. And that becomes weakened. And then eventually those previous karmic imprints that were responsible for the arising of, of anger have been overwhelmed by the new karmic imprints that, that arose out of that mindfulness and the anger is no longer there. This is one of the ways that we transform ourselves. The other really important one though is what I was addressing more in my earlier description. As you begin to see and understand the impermanence and the emptiness and the inevitability of dissatisfaction of clinging to those things that are impermanent and empty, then your mind fundamentally changes the way it operates. You know, and, and that's the experience of uh, awakening. So those are the insights. The insights lead to the uh, understanding that abolishes the ignorance. A being who no longer believes that they are a separate self in the sense that we normally uh, experience and that leads to all of our, our, our greed and our lust and our anger and aversion and hatred and fear. A person who no longer has that belief and that view that, that I am this kind of being is no longer so subject to those mental states. And it's the eradication of that false view that is liberating.
So that's this, I don't know. I hope I've answered your question. This is how it leads to it. This this is the process. But it all begins with just achieving a mind that is able to stay focused on things, even for a moment, with sufficient clarity and intensity to see and understand what's really going on. You know, and what we're coming from is that place where it happens and it's over with before the awareness arises and very often the awareness doesn't even arise. The average person speaks without knowing what they're going to say. And when they see the results of what they've said, if it's unwholesome, rather than confronting it with mindful awareness, they shy away from it, they hide from it. When you see that you've said or done something that is unwholesome, the average person, their reaction is to immediately displace that awareness with something that's more comfortable, to turn away from it, to hide behind something else, to, you know. And, and so in that way, we just keep reinforcing the same, uh, the same destructive habits of mind, and we have no hope of, uh, of changing that. But through developing... Uh, through, through cultivating our mind and developing stability and clarity of awareness, then we can change that. That's that's the important thing. We can change that. And there's two. And, and we've addressed in this just now the two levels at which you can change this. The one level is through continuous mindfulness. Mindfulness can begin to destroy the afflictions and the taints that are leading to your ongoing patterns of behaviors and replace, lead to the replacement of them with more positive ones. And this is, this is really sort of functioning at the mundane level. You know, you're bringing about personal transformation in powerful and wonderful ways, but you're doing it piecemeal, a piece at a time, a piece at a time, a piece at a time. You know, and some of us have an awful lot to work through. So the other dimension of this <coughs> cuts to the root abolishing the ignorance that is the root of the, the uh, of all of the desire and aversion and craving craving and by abolishing the root then it makes it much easier and and and, and more dramatic and more quick instead of <coughs> constantly trying to cut off the branches as fast as new ones grow and 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 uh, pruning the, the 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 tree to a better shape uh, we 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 cut the root Cut it right at the root. So that's the other aspect of it. Both are positive. Both are important. Both are valuable. In the beginning of meditation process, it is good because it provides you with calm, peace, equanimity, and it allows you to deal with the vicissitudes of life in a much more easy uh, and, and, and comfortable manner and, and uh, in, in some ways more wholesomely. Through the power of mindful awareness in, in, in the middle stage, which is also good, it brings about the transformation of you as a personality, the elimination of those wholesome traits which have arisen, and the preventing of unwholesome, further unwholesome traits from arising, the recognition of the wholesome things that are present and their cultivation and maintenance, and the, and the causing of other wholesome traits and, and, and mental states to arise. So in, in, in the middle, which is good, we have this transformation of ourselves as a person that comes out of mindfulness. But 
in the end, and the culmination is the achievement of insight and wisdom and understanding which brings about the permanent transformation and cuts short the struggle. So it's time to go to lunch. Please do uh, practice the sitting meditation and uh, I'll see you back here at 1.30. Thank you very much.